For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. accomplishes and in a certain respect these two are set in the sharp antithesis so much so that what is of the law cannot be of grace and what is of grace cannot be of the law. As we read in another place, otherwise grace is no more grace and law is no more law. <laughs> but behind this <laughs> but there is another law. Why are grace and law brought in at all? What is the end in view? Whether we look at it through grace or through the law. The end of course is to live unto God. So that ultimately the question is this, how can a man live unto God? How can this be? And that is really the question at issue. Is this possible? And if it is, how? Some would reply through the law. That is, if one is to do whatever he can, if he is to do his best, if he is um, to exercise diligence in the things of God and man, then he will live unto God. That is the answer of the law. The answer of Christ is, no. The first thing necessary to live unto God is to become dead to the law. Not to look for it at all as a life-giving principle, as a source of strength to enable one to live unto God. Now these are the two points at issue, or rather the one point. So Paul gives us his answer, and uh, he has uh, no doubt whatsoever 
His answer, of course, is that uh, as regards man, all God's requirements of him um, may be um, summarized in this to live to God. All we should all are agreed on that point. Man should live unto God. And of course there are various reasons for that. He should live unto God. And Paul replies, the only way in which this is possible is through grace. And through grace, as distinguished from the law. Hmm. So just in passing we might uh, <clears throat> say a word or two in connection with this uh, ultimate A living unto God and of course this brings us back to man's original creation why is he here at all And of course we can make that uh, still more personal by asking yourselves this, why am I here? Why was I sent into the world? Why was there such a creature as man? Well, of course, unless we give over the case to blind chance, we must insist that there is a reason for everything. Whether we can discover that reason, of course, is another, another matter. There is a reason for our own being. that we have been created and created in a certain way we find ourselves so to speak in this world we find ourselves in a certain environment and well might we ask the question why why is this And of course the answer of scripture is consistent and insistent. Man is here to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is the purpose the main purpose of his being. That is why he has been sent here. That's why he is kept here. That he may glorify and enjoy God. Now that is exactly the same as saying that he might live 
earth to God to glorify and enjoy him is nothing more and nothing less than to live unto him and what does that imply it implies of course that God takes precedence over everything and everyone else. It implies that he is supreme and not only supreme absolutely but supreme in our heart and life. To live to God is to have him sitting, so to speak, on the throne of our heart, ruling in our will, regulating our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And it is thus, thus far, and no further that anyone may live to God. This is the essence of living to him. Now if this is so, the question how this may be done assumes far reaching importance. If it's my duty and my privilege to live to God, if this is man's highest blessedness, yea, his only blessedness, the question of how it may be done assumes gigantic proportions. How? Now here the two answers come in. Some say by doing this and by doing that then one will live unto God. And that of course is the answer that present, presents itself invariably and with alacrity to the human mind. This is the answer. To live unto God means to do one's duty as far as one knows it. And this implies again that one um, should attend both to the duties of religion and to civil duties. And if one will do that, then all will come out right in the end. That is the road of living to God by the law. But here, something else comes on the scene. 
if it's man's highest duty and purpose to live to God. We ask, what is man? For obviously, to live to God is an attainment of the highest order. And what is man in order to attain to this? And that is exactly where um, the spirit of the law in, in the human mind, that is where it trips. That is the fatal step in the argument as concerning the law. We know that if any man will do the law, that is, do the things that the law requires, he will live in them. He will. That is, he will live unto God. Whosoever will do that which the law requires will live to God. But that whosoever covers a large area, whosoever will do, will live. And what kind of doing is this? It is doing without flaw. It is perfect doing. It is perfect obedience. And he who will render that to the law will live by the law. And who will do it not only now, but who has done it always and everywhere. Now that is the point that is overlooked. It is here we say that the reasoning concerning the law, it is here it trips, it is here it falls down. What does God require in order to live? He requires obedience. But he requires perfect obedience. It is not merely what I will do, but it is what he requires. And in the nature of things, he can require nothing short of this absolute perfection. But that is not how the claims of the law are presented by the natural mind to the natural conscience. No. When the, when, when the apostle here and elsewhere when he talks of the law as not being able to justify, as not being able to supply a principle in order that one should live unto God. He looks at it as it is in fact. He, look, he looks at men as they are, 
in den fallen and sinful condition. And in that condition, he says, it is utterly impossible to live unto God by the deeds of the law. But it is one thing to state that. It is another thing to become convinced of it in one's innermost heart and soul. And it is the process of becoming convinced of this that he describes when he says, I, through the law, am dead to the law. If you were to ask him, Paul, how have you come to this? You seem to be very emphatic on this point. And, and you recur to it again and again and again. Not only do you think it's of the utmost importance, but you seem to think that it is most difficult to learn. Hence the necessity of uh, this recurring emphasis. To these questions he would reply, yes, I know. For you, you must remember I was a Pharisee. I was one who gave much thought and much time and much energy to this very point I am discussing. And I came to this point of attainment that according to my own view of things I could say that touching the righteousness which is in the law I was blameless. And if anyone should know about it, the Apostle Paul should. His whole past experience, all of his life prior to his meeting with Christ on the way to Damascus, led him to understand more and more what it means to, to be justified or to try to be justified by the law. He was a Pharisee. How did he come, we say, to this then? He tells us it was through the law itself. It was through the law he became dead to the law. Now this works somewhat like this. Here we have one who tries to be conformed to the law in some certain respect. Take the person, for instance, who is, as we say, 
turning over a new leaf. We won't uh, enter into the question where the new leaf is coming from. But there is the saying that that person has to turn over a new leaf. And of course, in as far as this is an improvement, morally it's a good thing in itself. But having begun, he starts somewhere, we say, well, you say, no, I'll improve here. There are various organizations and uh, they lay much emphasis on what they call the good deed for the day. You do such and such and this is an improvement and you continue doing it. And that we say is good in as far as it goes. But as one goes on in this path, If he sees that he has improved, he will always find, that is, if his sight is keen enough, he will always find flaws, even in what he thinks is an improvement. He looks at this and he looks at that. And there is always seem, there are always the little flies that make the, up the ointment of the apothecary put forth an evil smell. There is always, there are always the spots. No, Paul tells us that somewhat after this manner, the more he tried, the more the Lord came in and showed him where he was coming short. And it came in not to give him strength to improve, not to give him even any encouragement to improve. But it came in as a scourge and a whip until at last it lashed him to death. Whatever he tried to do, the law seemed to be dissatisfied. The law was austere. It wouldn't be satisfied with anything. There were always faults and flaws. And this went on, says Paul, until at last I realized that there was to be no living unto God by the works of the law. And not only so, so far from giving me life, so far from giving me energy and strength, by its very accusations, 
its condemnations, its stripes, its lashes. It made me more unfit than ever to live unto God. It weakened me. It showed me what I was and what I should be. And because I wasn't what I should be, the law had no mercy. It knew, it knew of no compassion for my weakness. It would never say we shall overlook this and we shall overlook that. It was most exacting. So exacting that finally I died. But this death is the prerequisite to living. I died. I am dead to the law, through the law. It is this very law which killed me. Now in the application of this, Is it not abundantly plain that the reason why anyone has any hope or any confidence towards God on the grounds of the law, is it not abundantly plain that it is because the length and the breadth, the height and the depth of the law's demand are not acknowledged. Man first croons the law and then he goes to live according to it. That is according to the law which he himself sets before himself. It is not the law of God. It is not the obedience that God requires. It is what he himself has planned for himself. He goes according to his own plan. Even when he thinks he has the law of God as the basis for this. It is his own plan he is following, not God's. <laughs> Know why the law, <clears throat> that is what God requires of us. When it comes home, not only in the letter, but in the spirit. When it makes known its power, its demands, then there is only one cry that can be heard from a sinner. And it is this, God be merciful to me, as God be merciful to me. And it is in this way that the law slays, that it kills, to bring off the creature from looking unto it for life or life 
for salvation. I am dead to it. Though despite all this, man will still cling to it. Not long ago I was talking to a certain man who seemed to be interested in the things of, uh, of God and his own salvation. And I tried to make as plain and as clear as possible the grounds of salvation. How it was by grace and not by works. And when I was true, I asked a simple question. Now I said, what do you think of that yourself? And in essence, this was the reply. Well, he said, I think that uh, if you do really what you ought to do, that's, uh, that's what's required. Despite my efforts to, to show, to point out the difference between grace and works, he was back at works again. If you will do what is required, if you will live like this and if you will live like that. Now that's very important in its own place. But that is precisely the point that the apostle here is discussing. That it is not through living like this or that. That is the very thing that he is aiming to demolish. And surely, this must be, there must be some inherent difference in this. Why? Because this is a contention, not as we might say, between the rank and file of the church. This is a contention between two apostles. Not, of course, that Peter gave countenance to anything but justification by faith. But the way he acted would make others believe that he was countenancing the deeds of the law in a way he should not do so. And if an apostle, and one of the chief of the apostles, on at least one occasion acted like that, how much need there is to take heed lest we fall in this pit. There is none so easy to fall in are so difficult to get out of. I am dead to the law. Now he means, of course, that he is dead to the law in relation to living to God. The primary requirement is still in place. Man's duty is to live unto God. Whatever happens, there is nothing to interfere with that, to live unto God. Now, to live unto him by the works of the law, 
led to death. And it always leads to death one way or another. And that, of course, is the supreme tragedy about it, that it leads to death. Not in, a, in, a, in the way in which it led in the case of the apostle. That is, it doesn't always lead to death in that way. It leads unto eternal death. And it can lead nowhere else. To try to live to God by the works of the law is the way of destruction, the way of damnation. It ends in death. And it ends in death one way or another for all. It ended in death for Paul in the sense that he had to give up entirely. He had to turn away completely from that which he was trying to do. He became dead. And this was worth acknowledging what he was all along. He now comes to face the facts. He now comes to acknowledge the truth. In fact, he says, there never was life. There never was any possibility of living to God by the works of the law. That is, there never was since man fell. Man was dead in that sense. Absolutely powerless to live unto God by the works of the law. So when he says that he, that he died through this process, he means but he now came to acknowledge what was true all the time. But if the way of the law is closed, if it's impossible to live unto God through the works of the law, is there any other way? Well, that is, that is uh, what he you know unfolds. There is a way of living unto God. It is not by our performing of the works of the law, but there is a way nevertheless. I am crucified with Christ. I have died unto the law, but that of course would not. Satisfy the sentence of the law against me. Even when I became dead to it. When I could by no means look, look to it anymore for hope or comfort. That wouldn't have set me right in relation to law. But there is another death. in which 
I died. I am crucified with Christ. As he puts it in another place, he are dead to the law through the body of Christ. I am crucified with him. Here is identification with Christ Jesus. He now goes away from his own death, the death which is suffered through the law, the death, of course, which had in it no intrinsic value, but which was in itself important as bringing him away from the law. But he goes now to a death which was intrinsically glorious and precious. I am crucified with Christ. In his death I die. And I die to the law died by having the sentence of the law executed against me. I am crucified with him. Oh, I should die by ceasing to look to the law for life. That had no merit in it. But the death of Christ has merit. It is a death which is unspeakably precious, unspeakably glorious, a death deriving its dignity from the glory of him who died. It is Christ who died. It is Christ who was crucified, and I am crucified with him. Now he is looking at Christ crucified. And then he cannot look at the law to be justified by the law. No man can look at Christ and at the law at the same time. And there is nothing to attract the eyes of man from the law. But Christ, he may be killed by the law, but yet he, he dies looping at the law, so to speak. There is nothing to bring his eyes off the law, but Christ. And when his eyes are brought to see Christ, he cannot look on the law anymore. He cannot look on it as a source of justification. He cannot look at he cannot look at it thinking that by doing what the law requires, God may be pleased with it. The death of Christ. interpreted according to the canons of scripture the death of Christ 
is the only thing that will really make us understand that we cannot be justified by the, by the deeds of the law. Whatever we think and whatever we say, as long as we are ignorant of Christ and his death, we are ignorant of the powerlessness, the impotence of the law to justify us, our own powerlessness and impotence to be justified by the deeds of the law. I am crucified with Christ. I look unto him that I may live to God. For in him there is life. From him comes the strength to enable me to live to God. It is his love that constrains me. Thus judging, if one died for all, then all died, and they all died that those who live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. Thus judging, if one died for all, then all died. So that they who live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I live unto God. I live unto God judging in this way. Thank you.